Welcome to another Con Life podcast by MWE Networks on Chronicles of Comic Con YouTube channel and listening to the podcast wherever it's available. We are sponsored by our friends at DarkNightStudios.com. Go check them out. They make all of our logos and uh, the amazing graphics we use. They just started their shirt company. Uh, if you need branding for when the Comic Con season starts back up, hit up Dark Knight Studios and they will hook you up. They're professional and fast and amazing, and I don't use anybody but Dark Knight Studios. So this is our Star Wars holiday special, and it wouldn't be special without today's guest, Craig Miller. How are you doing, Craig? Okay, how are you, sir? I am doing very well. Uh, the coffee just kicked in, as you can tell by that intro. I got my Empire Strikes Back coffee mug going here which is important to you because that's why we're having you as uh, our guest today. Uh, I just purchased your book, Star Wars Memoirs. Uh, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So it should be here by the end of the week. So I get to start reading it. I'm very excited to, to start going through those pages coming from someone who hasn't read a book in about a decade. <laughs> basically, basically since George R. R. Martin stopped writing them i still haven't finished the game of thrones series so i haven't picked up a book in like a decade so yours will be the first book i read and i was gonna buy it from you in, per in person at a comic-con but no telling when the hell that's gonna be yeah so i was just like all right i'm buying it online we're having them on the show let's promote let's have some fun and uh so i don't want to i don't want to give away all your best spoilers from the book but let, let's let's definitely talk star wars and okay uh, and talk about the book and some of your experiences because I, I just love your stories on Facebook so much. Like they're just so much fun to read. And uh, uh, okay, so you did the marketing for Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I worked on uh, Star Wars as a consultant and then on staff for three years leading up to Empire Strikes Back. Which, which is amazing. I mean, you've also, look, I could talk to you for a full hour just about uh, the working on the Dark Crystal and some of the other projects you've worked on too, but you know. Star Wars. I'm here for Star Wars today because, yes. because like, here's what the kids. Okay, I don't want to get into toxic Star Wars fandom, but it it does drive me a little bit crazy that these kids are unappreciative and they're overcritical of the Star Wars. And a lot of the adult fans my our age are overcritical of the new Star Wars too. I think, uh, whereas in I'm just appreciative of, of, of as a Star Wars lover. The kid in me thought it was over after Return of the Jedi. I, yeah. didn't, I did not think we would be living in this golden age of Star Wars era with just this much coming out at us over the years. And no. now, who could have possibly imagined? Only George Lucas, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first Christmas where a new Star Wars movie didn't come out. Like, I kind of feel like the last several, you know, five, six years, every Christmas has been for me, you know? <laughs> So, so what's this like now with being the first year with a Star Wars franchise not coming out as someone who worked in the industry and, you know, you're a Star Wars fan too. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan. Um, there's Star Wars stuff all over the place here. Um, and not just because I was part of it. Um, but no, I was, you know, I was always a science fiction and comics fan before I got involved. That was how I came to get involved. Uh, with Star Wars. Um, 
And it's just astonishing. I mean, if you had asked us back in the 70s, would there be people talking about Star Wars 40 years later, everyone would have said you were nuts, <laughs> right? No one even expected Star Wars, you know, some of us expected Star Wars to be successful. Mm -hmm. No one thought it would even be the best, the, the biggest gross of the year, let alone what it turned out to be. Mm -hmm. So it's just, just totally amazing to everybody, I think. Well, and it, the first one came out as Star Wars, not Star Wars A New Hope. Like, was, was there talk of a trilogy on set on the first one? Um, not so much a trilogy. Um, Trilogies didn't even exist back then. Right. Well, um, George had visions of doing, if Star Wars was successful, there would be at least one sequel. Okay. Um, that was the second best movie of all time, in my opinion. Um, you know, that was in his head. And, you know, he has said at different times that there would be 12 movies or nine movies. Ooh. Very quickly became nine movies. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a couple of points very early on where it was 12 movies, because that's how many chapters there were in a typical movie serial. Which oh. is kind of what Star he's like in Star Wars too. Um, but then it quickly became nine. Um, and so it was like, you know, hope against hope, maybe someday they would do all nine. Right. But I remember sitting in the mixing room with George during Empire Strikes Back. And he said, and he told me he had decided not to do any more Star Wars. He was going to do the third movie, mm -hmm. but he wasn't going to do any other trilogies. Okay. It was, was it just that much of a daunting task? Yeah, I mean, each one took, at that time, three years. Oh, I see you have a friend there. Yeah, that's Morpheus. Hi, buddy. Usually uh, I lock them out, but they're being needy today. <laughs> um, uh, you know, he, he wasn't going to do the, 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 what was supposed to be next was the third trilogy. All right. Um, so that's, in fact change the plot of uh, Return of the Jedi, because originally that movie... Oh, <laughs> do tell. <laughs> See, if you get the book, you'd be able to read all this stuff. I'm going to. Uh, I'll have it here by Friday. <laughs> um, originally, the movie that would become Return of the Jedi, didn't have a title yet, was going to be about Boba Fett. Oh. <laughs> Boba was set up at the end of Empire, you know, he was this mercenary and he had the frozen Han Solo. Right, yeah. The third movie was going to be about the fight with Boba Fett to get Han Solo back. The fans would have loved that. But when George decided he wasn't going to do the next trilogy, the plot of the third trilogy had in George's mind was the redemption of Darth Vader mm -hmm. and overcoming the Emperor. Right. So that whole three movie plot had to be compressed 
and put into Return of the Jedi. Uh And so that's why Boba went from being the main bad guy in that movie as planned to someone who gets bumped into and knocked overboard in the first 10 minutes. To, to, to the worst death of the one at the second coolest movie character of all time, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that was the ori- what was originally going to happen, but it, he no longer, there was no longer room for him with redeeming Darth Vader and beating the Emperor. So, mm-hmm. um, you only got so much time in your storytelling in space. And if you're not current on The Mandalorian, spoiler right now, mute this. Uh, hello, we're getting a Boba Fett spinoff anyway that is going to be, if it's anything like The Mandalorian, I'm glad we didn't get the movie because a whole Boba Fett series is going to be epic and amazing as far as this fan goes. I love my bounty hunters. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, okay. Wow, that's that's a cool tidbit. I still can't wait to read the book. Um, so, Whose idea was it to start uh, pushing more kind of comic book themes as far as the market marketing goes for Empire? Well, um, with Empire, you know, obviously it's a lot easier to market the Empire Strikes Back than it was Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, Name recognition, yeah. Yeah, well, when Star Wars was scheduled to come out, most most of your audience probably isn't old enough to remember that in the 70s, science fiction was not popular. No, it was not. Um, it was thought of as a, a, me, a, a genre for little kids and mostly junk movies. There'd been some A pictures, you know, 2001 and 1968, you know, the first Planet of the Apes movie. Oh. Um, so good running, but those are pretty much it when it came to a level science fiction pictures. Everything else was, you know, yeah, they weren't blockbusters back then at all. No, I mean, most of them were coming out of Roger Corman's studio, and those were the high end of science fiction movies. There was a lot of even cheaper, stupider stuff coming out. So selling people on a science fiction movie was a daunting task. Right. Um, by Empire, that wasn't an issue. Everyone was into Star Wars. Um, so what we were doing... Was by, that, it, by that point, I'd been Luke Skywalker for Halloween like three years in a row. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, by that time, what we were doing was in the three years between movies, we were keeping the idea of Star Wars alive. We were doing a lot of stuff to keep people's interest around and, you know, and that's why, now the comics of course started just before the first movie came out, but they kept going. And there was a lot of other stuff, the, the licensing. Um, Toys, I mean, yeah, because look, the internet didn't exist back then. There was no Facebook, there was no Instagram and Twitter. Like this was all, the marketing was way different back then compared to what kids are used to these days that are seeing and listening to this right now. So what, what kind of tools were you using back then? Well, we, you know, obviously again, no internet. So we had to do things like there were science fiction and comic conventions. We did a lot of stuff with those, with appearances and that sort of thing. Um, I did a lot of appearances, Gary Kurtz went out. Um, actors didn't so much go out back then. Um, 
and of course conventions weren't nearly as big. Um, the 1979 Comic-Con in San Diego, where I did the big promo for Empire Strikes Back, the entire convention was 6,000 people. Wow. Today at Comic-Con, the main hall, Hall H, holds 6,000 people. And that's a tiny fraction of who's there. Um, so it was a much low, relatively speaking, lower key. We also did things with bookstores, comic shops, um, and, you know, promote, doing things to work with fans and fanzines as best we could within copyright and trademark restrictions. Um, and we started the official Star Wars fan club, which was under me. I created the fan club. I, oh. wrote, I wrote the first like three years, I think, worth of issues of the newsletter. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, so all, all of that stuff. And what I was doing was I wasn't writing a, oh, these are little kids, let's do junk for them. I was writing a newsletter that basically was what I would want to know if I was someone in Ohio or New York or London wanting to know what's going to happen with Star Wars. Right. Um, I was in my early 20s and... Um, you know, I knew I, I had a good feeling still for what teenagers wanted, what people in their 20s wanted. You, you knew the fan base was bigger than just children. Oh, even, yeah. Even then. And that's why it was like interviews with George and Harrison and Irv Kirshner, Tony Daniels, why there were we did articles on the special effects and how they were done, all that kind of stuff. Um, Back then, not having the internet, we were just sending these off into the void. I mean, people joined the fan club, but you have no idea how they're responding to what's going out. Now, in the last 10 years, I've been meeting a lot of people who were members of the fan club Ooh, cool. 40 years ago, and they tell me how, you know, it was like, their best day of the month was when the envelope would arrive from the Star Wars fan club and there'd be the new issue of the newsletter. It and came in the mail, kids. In the mail. USPS post office. Yes, we used to have mail. <laughs> it wasn't an email. It came literally as a letter in the mail. And of course, we worked with this other thing people aren't familiar with anymore, magazines. Mm. Paper magazines like yeah. And Cinefantastique, um, media magazines like Entertainment Weekly, and industry magazines like American Cinematographer, you know, all those different places. We worked with them to, and they were, and they worked with us, you know, jointly. We gave them material and kind of helped them shape articles. And they did articles promoting Star Wars and promoting Empire Strikes Back at when it was in production. Nice, yeah. And and well, and because that was the thing back in the day, like you, you go, every, magazines were everywhere. They, they were littered in every office. They were at school. We had magazine subscriptions like crazy at our house. Like 
I mean, it was magazines and newspapers. That was where you got your information. Sure. That's uh, okay. So, man, that's cool. All right. So, you were back in the glory days of special effects when George Lucas was creating was creating special effects magics that that quite frankly kids don't appreciate today. Uh, before there was such a thing as CGI. We're talking to early, early green screen miniatures and all of that. How do you feel about the new Star Wars with so much CGI versus old school? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the guys at ILM were reinventing special effects, creating whole new things, coming up with ways to do stuff, building on stuff that had gone before, but making use of new, newer technology. Right, both visually and audio. Right, computers were very, very limited back then. Very new. Um, there was no CGI. The most you could do was use it to program cameras to follow the same path when shooting a miniature. Oh, so that you could I didn't even know they could do that back then. Yeah, I mean, it was basically you, it, there was a tape cassette that would record the movement of the camera on a track and then reproduce the way it moved repeatedly so that you could film, you could do more than one ver you know, take on a given thing, but also you could have a t you know, an X-wing up here and film it. And then you could have one down here and film it and then later, using an optical printer, you could marry those pieces of film and you ended up with, you know, you're flying past two X-wings instead of one, you know, all, all, all that stuff. But that was all brand new back then. Yeah, that's, that's a couple of clicks of copy and a paste and you're done with that now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you, now you just click, you know, duplicate and it rubber stamps them into whatever position you want. Maybe not quite that simple, but close. Right. Um, and CGI is great. You know, you can do a lot of to different, to terrific things in it. Right. Some CGI doesn't look that good, but some miniature shots didn't look that good. It all depended on the talent of the people involved. And editing, uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, but the stuff in. You know, it's different. They're different textures. And that's why they still, in some cases, build miniatures and then film them, you know, record them with the computer and then use those images to compile the finished shots. So it's sort of a combination of CGI and miniature photography. Um, Which gives you a smoother transition, I think, anyway. So, I mean, it, again, it all, it's not the technology. It's how it's, you use it. Right. It's how you use it. It's like writing a novel on a typewriter and writing it at a computer. The machine doesn't make the book better. It's still the talent of the person using the technology. That's the perfect analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and that's the other thing I talk about a lot is like these kids are so spoiled with the technology and the way everything is gorgeous. Like I remember seeing Jaws 3D in the theater 
and and like that movie scared the crap out of me as a kid and i didn't sleep for a week didn't shower for like a month because uh, <laughs> you know i was a stupid kid but at the time i also remember coming out of the movie thinking wow it can't get better than this this is the best movie experience you can get with 3D and everything, and it can't get better than this. Whereas in now, I'm like, I don't miss an opportunity to catch. When, so when Star Wars comes out, I see it four times. I see it in IMAX, in IMAX 3D, in regular 3D, and in regular, just so I can compare all four versions visually for myself, and uh, they always all hold up, but that's where we've come technology-wise. I, I think movies in general i think some use 3d well and some it's just there and they don't and you know they're not using it it and it doesn't add anything and they're so their movies i think it's not worth spending the money to see in 3d and others where they actually make good use of the 3d as part of the storytelling as part of the visceral experience right um so you know it depends on the film absolutely and yeah and that's exact same here uh there's only certain movies i will go see in 3d uh and it, it's you know marvel dc star wars star trek <laughs> those genres anything yeah. in those genres i'm seeing in 3d for sure uh so like you, you've been in the industry forever you've been going to comic cons like before they were a thing like what's one of your favorite things to collect as a collector and a fan oh boy i collect way too much stuff um <laughs> one of the things i i've got a small collection of relatively speaking there's probably 30 or 40 of them uh is small toy robots oh uh, now are the are these just like individually designed or are they all robots from movies or tv uh, some of them are from movies like there's some robbie the robot mm. i've got a couple different b9 which is the the uh, lost in space robot yeah and some from other movies and and others are just robots you know just cool yeah they're just cool and i i just kind of like them um and so I have a couple of shelves in my office laden with toy robots. Um, I have, what else do I collect? There's a lot of Star Wars stuff around. Um, I, I collect movie posters. So up on my walls or in my office at least are a lot of Star Wars movie posters uh, from the early movies. The classics. Yes, the classics. Um, the ones you can call Star Wars movies as opposed to sequels or prequels, you know. <laughs> Star Wars movies. No, I mean, they're all Star Wars movies, but those are the, they're the ones I have the emotional connection. We're, sh we're showing our age right now, yes. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're the ones I have the emotional connection to, so they're the ones that are up. Um, and, 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 and you're right, is those... The original trilogy pulls out an emotional connection in me that brings me back to my childhood that the that the prequels and the last trilogy just don't do for me i enjoy them but they don't bring up that nostalgia i'm on my dad's lap in the movie theater feeling right 
So, uh, but okay. It's so, <laughs> all right, let's look back into Star Wars then. But like, here we are, it's 2020. And the child in me finally feels fulfilled as an adult, thanks to two scenes, spoilers again, kids. The Darth Vader scene at the end of Rogue One where he's just fucking, fucking up everybody. Just like, that's the, that's the Darth Vader we've all wanted to see forever. Like, oh my goodness. Right. And then all of a sudden, season two, The Mandalorian, you're current, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't care if my listeners are current, as long as you're current. <laughs> when, when we get that epic Luke Skywalker moment of him just jacking up those dark stormtroopers and showing that he is a full Jedi now, wielding the force like a badass, like those are the most two epic Star Wars moments in all of the franchise canon, as far as I'm concerned. Like, how did those make you feel as someone who's worked on, been involved since the beginning? You know, they were, they were great, um, especially the Rogue One moment. I I also liked yeah. the um, Grand Moff Tarkin and Princess Leia moments um, in those movies. I thought those were great callbacks to the original films. Oh, yeah. Um, and I confess I'm not as huge a Mandalorian fan as some people are. Okay. It, it's good but it doesn't make me crazy, you know? Um, gotcha. uh, you know, I enjoy it, but um, I'm not, I'm not, it, is, it isn't my number one all time right. thing. Um, I think what's interesting, I really think what's interesting, you know, when I was a kid, we'd watch pretty much any science fiction show on TV. Yeah, same. Because there was almost nothing. It was a desert. So even if it was terrible, we'd still watch it because it was the only way we were getting science fiction. Mm -hmm. These days, there's so much science fiction on television that you can you can be choosy. It's like, yeah, it's science fiction, but nah, I don't care. I'm not going to watch that. Is there anything better than The Expanse right now, though? Like, in your opinion, like besides the expanse what are you watching sci-fi that I, everyone should be paying attention to i'm not up to date on expanse i i, I haven't was it um uh, we're going into season four i think season five just came out five going into season five and i think i've i've only seen like the first three seasons oh okay yeah you're not that far behind though the first three seasons are amazing like yeah um yeah, I mean, there's there's just some, but what I, what I was getting to was I, I, I worry there's going to be so much Star Wars on television in the next, starting a year from now or so, that we're going to be going, oh yeah, that's fine, but I, I don't really watch that. I saw the first episode, but I'm watching this other Star Trek, Star Wars series. Right. You know, I'm, I'm worried it's going to be a little too much all at the same time. And I, I could totally see that, but I think at the same time, everything has changed so much and the fandom has changed so much, especially age-wise, they ain't us, uh, that it's, it, it's, a, it's, a new, it's a new experience, it's a new generation, and they're putting out the content for that generation. Star Wars has left us behind. It is no longer made for us. Well, 
that uh, we may not be the target audience. Um, I, I think, still love it and eat it up like it's yeah. I mean, it's, cereal, but I, I still enjoy all of it. Um, I'm just hoping they can keep the quality up doing that much stuff all at the same time. Right, right, right. Which, which, yeah, and I don't know. I love the Mandalorian, and I think the quality has been up there. And the way I see it, like. Rogue One was such a good movie. If there was never ever a Star Wars franchise, that would be Star Wars. Mm. Like that's how I feel about Rogue One, and the same, that's how I feel about the Mandalorian. If Star Wars didn't exist, and this just came out, and this was our introduction into the galaxy of Star Wars, like this would be it. Uh, but I think I think they've been really smart about the little fandom moments with callbacks from yeah. the original trilogy. And with some of the dialogue and where it's been extremely fan serving for me, but not over the top fan serving where it's just like, oh, here's a bunch of just fan stuff and we don't really care about the plot. Yeah, what, one of my, I overall, I like the movie Solo, but I it thought was it entertaining. got a little, a little too much fan service. I agree. We had, we had to have a funny moment where he gets the name Solo. We couldn't just that be his family name right you know we didn't have a, we didn't have a moment where we discover that skywalker is a nickname because you know um and and the other one that i thought was a little too much in solo was did we know he had a gun that had emotion used to be a rifle <laughs> yeah it's like i just figured he used whichever blaster was at hand not that this had some long history of how he got it you know i thought those two moments were a little over the top right yeah yeah and, and, and i 100 percent agree with you especially on the whole naming of solo thing like <clears throat> excuse me that was my biggest problem with the force awakens like okay look i understand finn is the beginning of his number and blah 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 but in the area of social justice and everything we have a white character naming a black character in a star wars movie like how did that slip past everyone um, <laughs> not to get yeah not to go down that route but like that caught me immediately in the movie theater and i was just like wow i'm a little offended by that you know, you're the first person I've ever heard mention that. I've, I've had things offend me in that movie, but that wasn't one of them. I, I know. I've <laughs> I picked things out left and right, and you know, there was there was lots of issues with that movie for sure. Uh, and but that was also like very fan serving movie, which gave me the nostalgia of going back to the original. Wow. But at the same time, it was it was like. Too many callbacks, except for the first time I saw the Millennium Falcon, I actually screamed. Yeah, well, but part of that, um, Disney wanted, Disney has been, for the most part, from my understanding, mm -hmm. arm's length on the Star Wars movies, mm. just as they have been on the Marvel movies. Right. Um, but one thing they insisted on was reintroducing everything. Uh, too many people, it was too long, or the or these 
modern kids won't necessarily have seen the early movies. So they insisted that everything get reintroduced. Okay. So for those of us who were very familiar with the Star Wars universe, it it felt like, yeah, okay, we know who Luke Skywalker is. Keep going. You know. Right. It, it, it was, uh, it's like the old, uh, okay, everybody knows Peter Parker's origin story. Just because we got a new actor, we don't need his, the beginning of his origin story all That's over again. That's my feeling. Can we make a Superman movie without yes on does there is there anyone on the planet who ha does not know superman's origin why do we have to do a long origin in every superman movie and if you don't know bruce wayne's parents were gunned down by now then stop watching batman <laughs> exactly okay. uh, but that's interesting you brought that up because i have not actually heard that from any of my industry friends and that makes a lot of sense because especially for everyone in the industry and those who who want to be know the long arm of the great mouse and how they have their hands in everything and they're extremely picky about production and editing and all that i didn't uh i didn't realize they had they were kind of letting marvel and star wars do their own thing so that they could just collect that cheddar yeah um i think it's sort of it's working so we'll stay back here right um you know, as soon as it doesn't work, you'll have more Disney input. And I think a couple of years ago, probably Disney got in a little more um, because there were things not playing as well. Well, plus they had, they're opening a theme park. Things got to line up. <laughs> yeah. Well, Disney's very good at that. Um, you know, but um, but overall, my, again, this is my understanding. I'm not, right. I don't work for Lucasfilm anymore. I don't work for Disney anymore. This is an opinion podcast. We are all good. It, it, it's just my understanding from what I've heard from people. Right. Um, the reintroduction, while that was never really stated publicly, I know that to be the case, that they insisted upon that. Right, right. But, well, and, and, you know, it kind of sucks that they had so many director issues between all three, you know, cause that, that definitely, and writing issues and different people doing it because that definitely made the last three feel way discombobulated and not congruent. Yeah, overall, I like the sequels. Mm -hmm. On a, you know, if you said, is this a good movie? I would say yes. Yeah, were you entertained? Are they perfect? No, they're definitely not perfect. Right. There are problems in all of them, um, some bigger than others, but overall they're entertaining. I, you know, I really don't understand the the negative fan response, which I, I put down. I don't more, either. I put it down more to the internet effect than actual dissatisfaction with the movies. Right. Because, um, you know, they were good. They weren't. They weren't Star Wars. They weren't Empire, but neither was Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I was gonna say nothing is. <laughs> you know, um, they 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 had issues. I I wish you know, I wish they had been conceived more cohesively rather than one at a time. Right. Um, 
I, their sequences, I, I understand, but I think just make no sense. Mm. Um, the mm -hmm. whole uh, casino planet sequence, it's like, this is a perfectly fine set piece, but it makes no logical sense. It in went on way too long. If you're just trying right. to establish that it's, it's like any other, it's like our American society and there's these people making money off of war and there's these people suffering and whatnot. I mean, that was easy to establish. It just went on way well, too it's, long. It's not just that. It's like, first, if you're going to make an alien casino, make it a little more alien than just having exactly the same games we see in Las Vegas. Right. But it, it was very long. It ad really added nothing to the plot. And it made no sense for our heroes to spend that time when they had this deadly situation on board the ship. All it did was really introduce uh, the Benicio del Toro character, mm -hmm. who seemed to be set up for a major role. It never showed up. <laughs> which, which never happened. Um, but he he wasn't the guy they were working for. And so they had to figure it out and they could have gotten captured without him turning them in. So it really added nothing except an extra half hour to the running time. And, and looked, more BB-8 footage because everybody wants more droid footage. Well, I mean, it looked cool. It would be good in a different movie, but it, you know, but that doesn't make it a terrible movie. It just makes it less than a perfect movie. Right, right. The sequence itself played fine. Um, it also set up the kids who we see at the end. Right, right, uh, right. Showing that the force is still out there and it, it exists. Uh, right. Yeah, and once again, it's just like, those movies seem like a whole lot of fodder and set up for stuff we're never gonna see. <laughs> Well, maybe now we will be seeing. Well, and, and that's, you know, once again here, we're going back to The Mandalorian and Boba Fett and all the spinoffs series. Uh, I think they're in good hands with Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau and the fact that they're working together because I really enjoyed Clone Wars. Like, I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did. I thought it was a really good animation and the storyline was great. Um, and I thought it added to the overall Star Wars canon. And now you see that they're drawing off that into the Mandalorian and we're about to get Boba Fett. I think, I think everything's moving forward in good hands, but what, here's what I'm really excited for because I've always had a longstanding Star Wars theory. And now that we're getting a droid saga spinoff, it kind of validates my longstanding theory that the original trilogy, the prequels and the last three are not about the Skywalker family are not about the humans because the only two characters in all nine movies are the droids. It's a love story between yeah. R2-D2 and C-3PO. No, that, you're exactly right. I, I actually mentioned that in the book as well. Good, I was gonna get back to the book. <laughs> George originally envisioned it as being the story of the two droids, R2 and 3PO. I fucking they, knew it! Because they <laughs> The only characters carried through, because remember, originally they're the storytellers. Well, and the and the movies are so far apart in time. Um, 
So it was about their journey through all through this history of what's happening. That that kind of fell by the wayside, although they still continue in the movies. Right. Yeah. I feel so validated right now, Craig. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to help. It's the little things in life. But you know, and, and that goes back to one of the original promotional, you know, artwork was the droids in front of a galaxy with the Death Star behind them. Yeah. Which I bet is on your wall. Um, no, not that, but. <laughs> but yeah, okay. And, and so everybody loves loves the droids and their storyline. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the little droid saga spinoff because I think that'll be, that'll be fun for the whole family. Plus uh, something I was having a conversation with one of my nerdy friends on Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or, or might've been a month ago before I was in Facebook jail again for like the fifth time this year. Uh, uh, that that the, the movies focus so much on the Jedi's versus the Sith that there's an entire galaxy of cast and characters out there of you know like the old the old joke goes you know millions of people died on that Death Star you know plumbers and construction workers and all of that and so I, I, I'm interested to see where they go with the droid saga with being able to utilize more of the entire galaxy's cast of characters and see where they go with that. Right, well, clearly there's, you know, we're following a certain story in the Star Wars movies, but clearly there are, you know, 10 million stories in the Naked City. So, um, you know, there's plenty of stories about other characters, about other times in there. Um, but obviously just this, you know, I, I, I said after watching the Han Solo movie, Solo, that I'd be up for a sequel, but I don't want to see another Han and Chewie caper movie. Mm -hmm. I want to see the Kira movie. Oh. Uh, you know, follow her. Where is she going? What's she doing? She's a really interesting character. Absolutely. And that was the character I was most interested in in the movie to begin with, too. And that I was hoping, because I always, in the back of my mind, I always, you know, looked at Han Solo as brokenhearted. Like he's, that's why he's the, the rogue he is. Somebody broke his heart when he was young. And so to, to finally kind of get a little tidbit of that, I thought that was the selling moment for me of the Solo movie, plot-wise. Yeah. Because because I love I love I love people and I love hearing their stories and what made them who they are today and it, our, our past is exactly that and you sir have just an amazing cool fun past so yeah, thank you uh, but yeah in fact that uh, that's why I started Con Life was to have my con friends come to me because who knows when the conventions are going to be starting back up and because of my physical condition I don't even know if I'll make it to a convention ever again. So I barely made it through the last one in January here in Albuquerque. Uh, so I figured let's have a podcast where I can bring my friends that I've met in the convention scene. And why I bring that up is you're one of the few of my friends over the last 10 years. I actually remember exactly when I met you. <laughs> you 
you know, like those weekends become such a blur. You meet so many people. You, yeah, yeah. you have all so many conversations. I mean, I'm, I'm not famous. I don't do anything. You do panels and signings. I moderate a few panels here and there. So like the amount of people you meet over a weekend just gets daunting. What do you miss about convention weekends? Well, you know, um, I, I love people. I love my whole thing at conventions is, you know, I get at Comic-Con in San Diego. Oh. I would never stand in line to go to one of the Hall H panels. They're, they're cool, but anything really interesting will be online 10 mm -hmm. minutes later. And my thing is I, I will spend more time just walking around the exhibit hall, looking at cool stuff, running into friends, meeting new people, mm -hmm. and having conversations. That to me is what conventions are about. Mm -hmm. You know, going out to lunch with people, going out to dinner with people, hanging out at the bar. The after parties. Saying that that's to me what I what I really miss about conventions is yeah, it's fun being on panels and stuff. Um and, and weird on those rare occasions when someone asks me for an autograph, more now that I I have a book. So now there's actually something to sign. But you know, I'm not a movie star. It's it's not like that. You expect them to be asked for autographs. But yeah, it's it, it's just that that's the whole thing I miss. Yeah. No. And and and, and you're right. It's 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 the networking. It's the social aspect. Uh, and like I always say, you know, what's the fastest way to find a friend at San Diego Comic Con? Just stand still. Yeah. <laughs> they'll walk past you <laughs> and the second you're trying to hook up with a friend or find a friend or meet them somewhere like how often does that happen like you'd never well, you'd... <laughs> yeah if, if you arrange to meet that works usually but if you say i'll find you there it isn't gonna happen or if you're even texting like where are you like and then you end up running into another friend somewhere else a half an hour conversation goes by there on the other end of the hall yeah and it's people who haven't been there don't realize the scale of it yeah the exhibit hall at comic con not all the meeting rooms not all the outlying stuff the exhibit hall itself is approximately 10 acres and holds like uh, 150,000 people and that's not even the exhibitors that's just guests well there you can have 150,000 people at the con um, I don't know how many people can be in that room, but that's with right, that yeah. room filled with tables and booths. Um, and all the panel rooms. And they've expanded right. the convention hall like three times in the last 15 years just for San Diego Comic-Con. Then they're doing it again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 10 acres, that's a hell of a big space. It, it is. It's its daunting and every... and and. Plus, it's five days for those of us that, you know, what used to be preview night is now just a regular night, you know, Wednesday through Sunday. And then on top of that, you got the entire city of San Diego that has turned into one giant convention with different things going on, different events here and there at different hotels and whatnot. So like all the walking and everything, after five days of that, you just, you're spent for a week. Or I am. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it you know, I've been going to Comic-Con Oh God, uh, 46 years now. Awesome. Only 10 myself. Yeah, um, I, 
I first went in 1974, um, which was, it started in 1970. Um, but, you know, it, back then, I was young and it was small. You didn't, you were only tired after it, not spent. Now, uh, you know, it is just, it's overwhelming emotionally. It's overwhelming physically because, you know, you get up in the morning, you have breakfast, you do things at the, on the floor, you go to parties at night, you're out till two and three in the morning and you go back to your room and then you get up in the morning and so quick shower quick breakfast do it all over again it amazes me that just five years ago because i mean you know my health and my physical condition now it amazes me that just barely five years ago i was doing that five days in a row on like two to three hours of sleep a night with the hardcore partying with my friends at night like and then filming all day panels and running around all over the place like a madman. Like, I don't even know how I was doing that in my late thirties. Oh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not doing that anymore. Here we are on Con Life, the podcast. Uh, Craig, thank you for being here, brother. It, it's, a, it's a pleasure to see you face to face. Uh, oh, thank you for having me, man. It's been so long since we've been together. It's it's been a few years because I've missed the few I've missed the last couple LA Comic Cons myself when I was when I was living there. So yeah, it's been like three four years since we've actually seen each other face to face. Yeah. And I'm glad you and the and the misses are doing good. Uh, yeah, thank you. And and now that now that Concord has left the con and it has invaded the entire world. <laughs> yeah. Well, like okay. how how are you holding up? Well, we're kind of going stir crazy, you know, we're, I'm a big believer, masks, social distance. I pretty much only go out to doctor appointments. Um, Same, I got one tomorrow. Yeah, tonight, we're actually going to go to one of those neighborhoods here in LA where the entire neighborhood lights up their houses. Oh, those are cool. Yeah. And we haven't done it in a few years. We used to go up to this neighborhood and you could walk through the neighborhood. It's like eight square blocks nice. um, out in Woodland Hills. Oh, um, oh, oh yeah, I've driven there. Yeah, I've been there. That place is like famous in Southern California, that neighborhood. Yeah, and so you could drive it or you could walk it. And when we've gone before, we've walked it, but in this year there's, you're not allowed to walk it. Um, and I wouldn't do it anyway, but it'll be good to, you know, get out of the house. It'll be good to see some Christmas. Uh, get some holiday cheer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We could, I mean, in 2020, we, we all need all the cheer we can get right now, for sure. So uh, hopefully moving into 2021, if everybody goes out there and gets vaccinated and we get things back to somewhat normal, maybe by summer we can have a San Diego Comic-Con again. Maybe I'm maybe I'm on the I'm fence on that. Holding out any hope for summer. Mm -hmm. um, it depends on too many people doing the right thing, and so far as a country, we've already shown we can't do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it doesn't help when there are people in different offices at the city and state and national level. Some people say do this, some people say do that. And we really have to get it all together. I mean, I look at Australia and New Zealand where 
they said every country is going to do this and now both of those countries have zero cases of covid happening well actually australia just had a brand new breakout and they think it was because of an american citizen so but I have been to New Zealand, sir, and I recommend everybody travel to New Zealand, like some of the best food I've ever eaten, some of the most beautiful countryside I've ever seen, and some of the most friendly people on the planet. I love me some New Zealand. I haven't been to New Zealand, unfortunately. Um, I've worked with companies in New Zealand doing- like Wetworks? Uh, I'm sorry? Like Wetworks? Uh, no, I, I did a-, a a TV show for a, a, a an animated show for a toy company down there. Oh, cool! Uh, and I worked a lot in Australia. Spent time in Australia. Really enjoyed that. Um, That's on my bucket list. I still need to go there. Yeah, no, it's a great great place to visit. Someday, year from now, maybe we'll all be able to go and travel the way we used to. And, which, which would be which would be nice to yeah. be able to see convention friends again. And, yeah. and, and other friends besides my convention friends, just to see humans, <laughs> yeah. to get a hug. Oh my goodness, when was the last time you got a hug from a friend? Oh, it's been forever. <laughs> but all right, brother, uh, give your wife the best uh, and, and love you. Uh, trim that beard, sir. Like, <laughs> you're going COVID crazy. <laughs> yeah, well. I say that with love because I just trimmed mine like a week ago. <laughs> but uh, uh, thanks for being our friend. It's great seeing you. Yeah, great seeing you. Everybody go check it. Don't even check it out. Go purchase it from Barnes and Nobles or Amazon right now. Get not, Be done listening. Be done watching this. Go check it out. Star Wars Memoir. By no, no, Star Wars Memories. Memories. Me I don't know why I keep calling it memoirs. Memories. It is a memoir, but it is a Star Wars memories. I just like the word memoir. It makes me feel sophisticated. Because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And thank you to our sponsor, Dark Knight Studios. Check them out, darknightstudios.com. Follow him on all of his social media. Hit him up to get your shirts made. Or if you need a logo, business cards, flyers. The man's a magician and just does all kinds of things. And uh, thank you. Go follow Craig on his Instagram and check out his book. Better yet, buy it from it. Amazon or Barnes and Noble now. So that way, once the con season starts back up at the end of 2021, you can go find him at a con and get it signed because that's what I'm going to do. All right. Well, thank you, brother. Much love. We will thank catch you. you at a convention floor somewhere down the road. All right. You take care, man. All right. Take care. God bless.